You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, this is the final part of a four-week series that we've been in called Dinners with Jesus. I kind of have mixed emotions about coming to an end. Several reasons. Number one, uh, I I just love this uh, concept of biblical hospitality. I love it. It's, It's kind of in my wheelhouse. I mean, this is one of those sermon series that when you begin to dive in, you realize how much you enjoy speaking upon uh, on this subject because this is something that you enjoy doing. We love having folks over. Uh, we, we love taking folks out to eat. Nearly every week of my life includes, I mean, on purpose, intentionally, and because I like it, anywhere from three to seven dinners or lunches with people in our church or in our community. So I love this. And my prayer is that what God has been doing in our hearts, and we'll finish this, this morning, as far as this series is concerned, and this emphasis is concerned, is that God would bring us all to a place where we understand that when we've been focusing on how Jesus connected with people over dinner, and as a result of that, he practiced hospitality at the next level. And my prayer is that we would really buy into this core value that people matter more than projects. It's not so much the food or even the taste of the food as it is the fellowship and the connectivity And the iron sharpening iron this weekend, that's really what it's all about. We had really good food this weekend, but I don't know that I'm going to remember the food nearly as much or even close to what I'm going to remember about the relationships. That's what this series is all about. And then as a result of that, we can practice hospitality at the next level. Meaning this, we all need to grow. Take that next step, if you will. So we've noticed one of the reasons why Jesus came was Luke 7, 34. He came eating and drinking. Who did he do that with? With people. Why did he do it? To win them to himself or to instruct them over a meal. You know, it's interesting. Just a few facts about dinner. Dinner time is generally a significant time in most homes. I know that growing up, uh, it, it, you know, my family, even though we had a, a, an early divorce in my in my family, and we were raised in, in, in a single-parent home and every other weekend with my dad, we still understood some things that I'll talk about throughout this message about the importance of dinner. There was a, a sacredness to it, and my wife and I have carried that into uh, our family practices. But there's been a 33% decrease in families eating together, especially over the past few years. And 50% of those who do eat dinner together watch TV while they're eating dinner together. I can hear my wife now. A lot of people call her Nana around our house. And she is a bulldog when it comes to put your iPads up, put your phones up. We're having dinner. We're going to talk. We're going to laugh. It's Sunday afternoon. None of this TV stuff. Now, we do usually have a ball game on, but we turn it low. All right. And... uh, but there's a lot of fellowship going on in the house. I love the, 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 the singing, the, I mean, the uh, laughing and the talking and the craziness that goes on around the dinner table at the Capaces. There's been a 45% decline in entertaining friends. In other words, people rarely have people over their houses anymore. In the typical American household, 
The average number of dinners eaten together per family is three a week, and the average length of that dinner, three a week, is 20 minutes. My dad will be here for graduation. He's arriving on Friday, leaving on Monday. He'll be here Sunday. I really want you to meet my dad. He's a great guy. He's 82 years old. He'll be driving all the way here and back from New Orleans. So blessed. I can hear my dad now. Dad would get around the dinner table, and here's what he'll say. And by the way, he'll say this this weekend probably. All right, everybody. All right, look, look, we're going to pray. Hey, and when we start eating, take your time. Take your time. We're not in a hurry. In fact, I brought a question. I'm going to ask this question, and everybody's going to answer this question. And man, we'll have 10, 12 people around that dinner table, and while we're eating, Dad will ask a question, and it just goes around that table. We find ourselves an hour later still answering that question. And after that hour, many have cried, and we've laughed, and we've all got connected. Sometimes Dad will go up to one of us and say, hey, it's your night to bring the question. It's your night to bring the question, Eric. Every meal, bring a question. Generate conversation. Let's connect together as a family. But we have discovered something different about dinners with Jesus. When Jesus had dinner with someone, when he had dinner with people, he, he, he focused on conversation. He focused on connection. And he focused on even at times, and we've seen this as we've studied it, a challenge. Generous hospitality leads to reconciliation. It expresses forgiveness. We do enjoy food, but not just because of the taste, but because of the companionship and welcome it expresses. I, uh, I, I met my wife in Bible college, and we began to date. There came a time about a year into our dating relationship. We were already in that 23, 24 range, and, and I said, you know what? I'm going to buy a ring. Jim, I bought a ring. Got one from my dad. I, he, had a, he had a connection to New Orleans. So I got, I got a ring, mailed it from New Orleans to Chicago, and I planned to take her out to dinner. But I didn't know where to go. So I've got a barber, right? I love barbers. I, the same guy's been cutting my hair for 31 years in Hot Springs. You say, Pastor, you still get a haircut? <laughs> I do. I still go. I went this week. I, I don't know why I do it. It's, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm not being the best steward of my money when I get a haircut these days. But I don't go for the haircut. I go for the connection to my barber. And so we... I'm sitting in my barber's seat at, in, in Cherville, Indiana. And I say, hey, man, I'm looking for a fancy restaurant to get engaged to my wife. My barber says, oh, I got it. He said, Nick's Fish Market, downtown Chicago. I said, Nick's Fish Market? That, that doesn't sound very fancy. Oh, five-star restaurant, best restaurant in Chicago. It'd be the best ever. He goes, and you want to get engaged, right? I said, yeah. He goes, table 57. I'm like, table 57? What, what's up with that? He said, oh, he goes, that's where people from all over the world come to get engaged at Table 57 at Nick's Fish Market. I said, what's so special about Table 57? He said, oh, you just got you, you to go there. You got to see it. Come to find out it was a table in the middle of the restaurant. You've got all these tables all over this fancy restaurant. But in the middle, there's this little table that is enclosed in a room with eight-foot-high back seats and a little entrance for the waiter to come. And you're basically all alone at Table 57. So I set reservations. He said, you better make reservations. This thing gets reserved out sometimes months. So I called up. I told her the date. I wanted to get engaged. And she said, yeah, it's open table 57, huh? I said, yeah. She goes, so you got your girl? I said, I got her. He said, we'll see you there. So I take Carolina, Nick's Fish Market. 
we walk in and I, I, she didn't have a clue. I took her to buy her dress. I mean, I did all my, you know, camouflage stuff to make sure she didn't know what was going on. She had, she's kind of naive anyway, you know, so she, she really is. You know, she, she just lives in the moment. She's not, she doesn't worry about too many things. Well, now she does. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, so we, we, we walk into the restaurant. I'll never forget this because we walked up and I just walked up to the receptionist and I said, uh, Capace, reservation. And she looked at, she goes, table 57. And she smiled, and I thought, don't give it away, you know. And, and, and my wife said, what, what's up with table 57? I said, no, 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 honey, it's fine. It's, just a, it's a table. It's a table. Table 57. It could be table 56, 55. So we walk in, and we walk up to this table. And, I mean, it was different. You could tell. She, if you've ever been to 501 Prime, there is one table there that is like this table. And it's sort of in the middle of the restaurant. It's got these high seat backs. If you've been there, you know that's kind of what it was like. So we walk into this table, and... We sit down, and the first waiter comes up, walks into the little entrance, and, and, the, and, and the waiter says, would you like something to drink? And we both ordered, ordered waters, to my recollection. And then the next waiter came, different than the first, would you like bread? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll take some bread. And, and she brings bread. The next waiter, different from the first two, well, would you like, uh, what would you like to order? And, and then the next waiter brings our salad. We had eight different waiters. You never saw the same waiter twice. It's an amazing experience. I mean, phenomenal food. Incredible tasting food. But the whole time, I'm knowing, this is, she has no clue, and I'm nervous, and I'm, I keep feeling my pocket for the ring, and I mean, I got this thing all set, and, and, and you know, the, the, so, so now it comes time, it's the end, the dessert's over, and I begin to push the table out. Remember this, honey? And she's kind of like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm like I'm, it's full, I'm full. I'm, I'm, I got to get on my knees, right? i got to get this thing ready. So I push it out just a little bit, and I'm holding my, I'm kind of acting like I'm full. And, and then I kind of go to my knee, and she's like, what are you? And then this is what I, I sang to my wife. Hit it, Jerry. You say, what did she say? First words out of her mouth. Did you ask my dad? That's not romantic at all. All right. I said, yes, I did. So will you? And she said, yes. But you know what? Yeah, yeah. 30, 34 years later. But you know, sometimes we enjoy food despite the taste. I don't remember the taste of the food. What I remember is the love that I felt at that table. I wonder if that's what Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17 means when it says, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened calf with hatred therewith. If I went home for lunch today and my wife said, hey, we're having herbs for dinner, guys. I mean, the first thing out of my family's mouth is going to be, is there meat? (laughs) I mean, is there potatoes? No, no, just herbs. But if there's herbs with love, it's better than steak with hate. I love the way the NLT puts it. Scott, thank you for introducing me to this translation. It's a classic. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than a steak with someone you hate. And then let's go to the message. Oh, Peterson always says something interesting. Better a bread crust shared in love than a slab of prime rib in hate. Can I tell you something? I grew up eating bologna sandwiches. My dad didn't have much money. My family was split. And oftentimes we'd go to Rye Manor in Metro, Louisiana. And dad said, Dad, what's for dinner? Fried bologna. But man, I tell you, I knew my dad loved me. 
I, I ate so much. I ate thousands of fried bologna sandwiches growing up. I haven't eaten one in 30 years. I'll never eat one again. But I'll tell you this. I, I was loved by my dad. And I didn't need a steak. I needed my daddy's love. Luke is always talking about Jesus at the dinner table. In Luke chapter 10, he, he has a dinner at Mary and Martha's house. In Luke chapter 11, there's a dinner with a Pharisee that was hot-tempered. In Luke 15, there's a dinner with the father and the prodigal son and the dinner guests that were invited. In Luke 19, he had dinner with Zacchaeus after Zacchaeus' conversion. In Luke 22, dinner with Jesus and the disciples at the Lord's Supper. But I'm going to fast forward to the last dinner Jesus ever had in Luke. There's so many in the book of Luke. In fact, the bittersweet part of ending this series is I'm really not doing it justice. There's so many stories of dinner with Jesus, and we've only been, to po- been able to point at four of them, concluding with this one here. And so today we're going to skip to the end. We're going to look at this story, which is basically a dinner that begins with a walk. So I have a question for everyone in the audience this morning, on the ba- in the balcony, on the main floor, and even watching online. Would you take a walk with me? It's not going to be a short walk. It's going to be a seven-mile walk. Has anybody walked seven miles lately? It takes you an hour and a half to walk seven miles. But this walk is with Jesus. And it's on a road called Emmaus. And Jesus here is going to end up eating with two disciples, but they did not even know they were having dinner with Jesus. This story is often referred to as the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And as those travelers made their way to Emmaus, a stranger appeared to them out of nowhere. This is one of the most famous walks in history. There's never been a walk like this walk. And they were going to take steps of faith. I don't always acknowledge this publicly, but I want to just say I'm thankful today for our worship pastor, Jordan Elkins, who sits with me every week and gets my sermon thoughts. And then he goes to the Lord in prayer and delivers to the church with God's help and the Spirit's leadership the songs that best connect us. I don't know, Jordan, if you've ever been led by the Spirit more than you have this morning. Thank you. I haven't ever said that publicly. We often refer to it in staff meeting, but I think you need to know that today as you sing these songs. Let faith rise up. We're going to take a faith walk. We're going to take some steps of faith together this morning. Because this dinner with Jesus is all about how to increase your faith. Jesus spoke of, O ye of little faith. Paul spoke of, in his epistles, weak faith. And the disciples cried out, Lord, increase our faith. Of Abraham, it's recorded in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he, Abraham, grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. God often challenges us to believe in him beyond our human finite ability. This is taking steps of faith. These steps don't happen overnight. Because oftentimes, if you're like me, we lose our capacity to understand what God is actually doing, and yet God wants us to believe. Have you ever had a faith that boggles your mind? 
If you do, you understand that as your faith increases, your need for evidence decreases. God said it. I believe it. So let's put ourselves in these two disciples' shoes. Are you ready? Let's set out on this seven-mile walk, and let's have dinner with Jesus. So step number one. We're going to take these steps one at a time. The first thing you've got to do in this journey of faith is recognize that at times your faith, my faith, struggles. We just do. We struggle at times in our faith. And when we do, keep walking while your faith is struggling. These two disciples were walking and talking on their way home. Let's take a a little peek here at the walk. Luke chapter 24 verse 13 on the screen. That very day... Two, we don't know both of their names. We do know one was named Cleopas, and there's other mentions of Cleopas in the New Testament. I'd like to think they're connected. We won't take time to, to look at all those verses, but there's, there's two of them. They were going to the village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, significant Jesus drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It was a long seven miles. They were going over the issues of life. No doubt they were talking about things they were frustrated with about what had happened in Jerusalem about three days ago. Perhaps they were talking about how unfair it seemed that that Jesus had been crucified. And so often when things go wrong in our lives, we find someone to vent to. Things aren't aren't going well. We're struggling in our faith. And so what we do is pick up the phone or we find somebody or we get in an environment where we begin to just vent with one another. And sometimes we need someone to vent to. But but in this moment, we see these frustrated disciples. Tragedy has struck. and And when tragedy strikes, you and I and them can easily cry out, Why, God? Why is this happening? It's important to note in this text that Luke mentions the word recognize two different times. And it's so fascinating. First time Luke mentions the word recognize in verse 16 of chapter 24 when he says, their eyes, we just read this one, their eyes, these two disciples, were kept from recognizing him. But then towards the end of the text in verse 31 it says, and their eyes were opened and he recognized them. And then he vanished away. Thus the title of the sermon When the dinner guest vanishes. Life has so many distractions. Work. We talked about those distractions this weekend, man, didn't we? Work. Things that pull us away from that which is most important. Unforeseen circumstances. Yesterday I showed up, I mean, uh, Friday I showed up to the men's retreat. Within an hour of, the, of being there, I, I, I tried to do something that I probably had no business doing. I didn't have the right shoes on. I jump over this barbed wire fence, and I try to be a he-man at age 58, you know, fit in with all the 25-year-olds. You know, come on now. Slipped down the hill, tackled a tree, or the tree tackled me. You say, preacher, you're not preaching like you... Like, you, uh, like you've been injured. I'm going to tell you, I've got a bruise from here to here. It's the most ugly, nastiest thing you've ever seen. But I will say this. I know I've had a lot of people praying for me. And, 
And I don't think I've got anything, you know, like broken ribs. I thought I did at first, but man, I'm just grateful. That, but I'm going to tell you something. That was an unforeseen circumstance. And my initial reaction, and even that night I had nightmares. You idiot. Look at, look at what you've done. I mean, you tried to do something you had no business doing. Now you've got to deal with this crippling effect for a few days or weeks. And, and what are you thinking? And then I'm thinking a little bit about what is God thinking? Why would he allow this to happen? I have to speak twice. I have to speak on the weekend. We oftentimes never lift our eyes or our minds from the dust of this earthly road that we travel. Not a week goes by that something doesn't happen that was an unforeseen circumstance in our lives. And sometimes God is at work and we don't know it. Our eyes don't recognize it's God working, but it just doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like it. And so we allow tough circumstances to blind us. Jesus, though, in his compassion and his grace, he meets us where we are in our life and in our faith journey. So look, if you would, at Luke 24, 17. It says here that he said to them, to these two men, what is the conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Now, they're walking together. Jesus is a stranger at this moment to them. He's Jesus, but he's a stranger to them. They don't recognize him. We saw that in verse 16. And so he comes into the moment and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? They were looking sad. Men, remember we talked about iron sharpens iron. So does a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. Josh, he could tell they were sad. Jesus, in fact, wanted us to know they looked sad. Their countenances were not right. And sometimes when we come to church and we see someone's countenance who looks like they've been through a lot that week, or maybe it's a a young lady or a young man or a single in the church who's just lonely and struggling, and they find their way to church that morning, and their countenance kind of says what's what's going on in their lives, and what they need is someone to kind of come up like Jesus did and say, man, you okay? Guys, okay? Can I pray with you? They were looking sad. The Messiah they had revered, the Messiah they had loved, the Messiah they had followed had been horribly put to death. The Bible doesn't tell us what they were discussing. We don't have exactly what they were talking about, but we do know they were sad. They were walking with God and they did not know it. Could that be us this morning? It's a disturbing thought. That oftentimes we don't recognize that God is with us. We're traveling down this road of life and the fire that used to be in our bones is now an aching in our joints and we just don't seem to have that spiritual desire like we used to. We too can have an Emmaus Road experience where we're traveling down this road of life and we're just, we're struggling to really believe that God is involved, that God is here. And what we need is a dinner with Jesus. God wants to set our hearts on fire for him. If the road of your life is taking you somewhere other than where you had hoped to go, you can trust Jesus to turn your life around. That's what he does. So Jesus asks the question, what you guys talking about? What's your conversation about? And notice their answer was kind of sarcastic. Look at it in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse number 18. And we'll just read 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answers, 
Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Dude, where have you been? What do you mean, what are we talking about? What do you mean what's happening? You're obviously the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know. Duh, where you been, dude? They lash out. Because hurt people hurt people. You can be rest assured that when someone you love lashes out at you, it's because they're hurt. And you would do well to listen to what it is that they're hurting about. You see, we often think we know more than we do know. They thought they knew more than they knew. So they're looking at what they didn't know was Jesus, and they're fixing to bring Jesus up to date. But what Jesus wanted to do and what Jesus was about to do was bring them up to date. And we see that faith begins to struggle. Look at Luke 24, verse 19. And he says to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. It's over. We've lost all hope. We had hoped for that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day, and tomorrow's going to be the fourth, and the next day is going to be the fifth. I mean, look, he's dead. He's gone. All of these things have happened. Now, some women of the company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him, they did not see. What's interesting about this narration here, and there's probably more to it, but, but, but in verse 19, notice here the reference to the past tense. He was a prophet. He, he was mighty indeed. He, he was mighty in words. Notice in verse 21, the past tense. We had hoped. What they were saying is, we had this, we had it, the thing called hope, but now it's gone. Jesus did not do what we thought he should do. These disciples had erected a wall of hopelessness around them and they were trapped in their own misery because their faith was struggling. I've been there. And I'm sure this morning, if you were completely honest with me, like I'm being with you, there are times when our faith struggles. Question, what do you do when God doesn't do what you thought he should do. I've been pastoring for 31 years, so I'm going to tell you what I've seen a lot of people do when they thought God should do what God did not do. I've seen a lot of people throw in the towel and quit. I've seen a lot of marriages, a lot of pastors, a lot of staff, a lot of church members. In fact, you can knock on doors all over Hot Springs, Garland County, Arkansas, and America. And hear the words. That's just not for me. I, just not what I thought. I tried it. Just didn't work out. You know, I, I was told some things. It just didn't happen. And I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just disconnected now. This is what happens as our faith struggles. We have these ups and downs in our faith like Job, right? Job's faith struggled. He lost it all. 
At one moment, Job was saying, as he said in Job chapter 1, in verse number 21, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Best Christian on planet earth. But then two chapters later, in Job chapter 3 and verse 1, after this, Job opened up his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Isn't that how it is sometimes? Just the ups and downs of our faith. Have you ever had conflicting testimonies coming out of the same mouth under pressure? This is where it's like, I, I'm under pressure. Yes, I believe God, but. Well, I know God's going to come through, but, but I'm not. It's like we just are conflicting testimonies. I feel that way in the past couple of weeks at Gospel Life because we, we have had a lot of spiritual warfare and circumstances and things that have happened that are testing our faith. My, my daughter-in-law, Susanna, had a baby and, and she had a C-section, but we didn't know the extremities of this and the, and the emergency of it until we actually went to the room a few hours after the baby was born and we step into the room and the doctor comes in for the first time to visit Seuss and he says these words, well, we almost lost you, girl. And when you're standing in a room and hear those words, it's kind of like, what? And then when you get a phone call that your Spanish pastor's flipped his truck and he got in a massive accident and his wife's in the hospital and two weeks later to this date, now she's still there. She woke up three nights ago, kind of had a nightmare and woke up and she said she woke up, Brother Suarez said she woke me up and she passed her and said it was the most horrifying moment in my entire life when she looked at me and her eyes were wide open and just like two headlights and she said, I'm not going to make it, am I? I'm not going to live. And believe it or not, I didn't know, I, I didn't know all these details, but she, it, it has been kind of give and take for a while. She's kind of coming through it, but it's been difficult. Lori Haggard, I mean, it's been difficult for Lori losing her mother, and, and it was kind of sudden. And I mean, her mother had some, had some issues in her health, but it was sudden. And then all the fallout you deal with, Lori, I mean, it's, it gets so difficult. You want to just enjoy the memories of your mother, but there's so many things pressing in on you that are so difficult, and it just struggle. We struggle sometimes to think, God, are you there? Or you really know where I'm at, what I'm going through? But God teaches us faith in uncomfortable classrooms. That's where we learn. When you go through these times in life and your faith is shaken, keep walking. Dinner with Jesus is coming. It's coming. You're going to be at the table before you know it. Step number two. I want you to see it here. When faith is in silence. Keep trusting, even when God isn't talking. Notice while, while they talked and were trying to understand, Jesus didn't really say much. He just listened. Look at Luke 24, verse 18 and 19. Hey, bear with me. Let's go back just a moment. And let me read two verses I've already read in the text, just for sake of illustration. Then one of them named Cleopas answered. You remember this. And Cleopas says, are you the only visitor? This was the sarcastic statement. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he says to them, and I like this, and here's what I'm kind of, here's here's what I'm birthing this second step in. It's just this. He says, what things? That's all he says. What, What things? And then after he says what things, it goes on for five or six verses, and they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And he doesn't say anything. He doesn't interrupt them. By the way, this is good advice from Jesus. Sometimes when people's faith is struggling, they just need somebody to talk to. 
They don't need you to interrupt them, give them your opinion, tell them they're not right with God, what's wrong with you. Well, if you just read your Bible, no, just let them vent a little bit. Let them talk. Jesus did. What, what things? And they just talked. Often when faith is struggling, everyone is saying something but God. So we take another step of faith. And we begin to develop our faith in silence. Just because God isn't talking doesn't mean he's not there. Don't forget that. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He doesn't manifest himself in miracles all the time. He doesn't manifest himself in signs, but he is there. Can I just say for all of us today, thank you, God, even when you're not saying anything, even when you're not talking, I know you're there. This is where Glow, my special needs daughter, reminds me of God. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, if you know Glow, you know she doesn't talk a lot. She doesn't say a lot. It's just part of what this chromosomal disorder produces is just this neurological issue. She can, every now and then, she usually gives one-word statements like, what things? That's, that's, but basically, if Glow says two words, mostly it's one word. Nice. Hi. Food. <laughs> that's a good word. But she doesn't normally say much. So when you get in the car with Glow, and she sits in the back seat, and you're in the front seat, you can just vent and tell her everything. And she won't say a word, and she won't tell anybody. It's awesome. I mean, you just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And so I do sometimes. I, I drive her to school. Caroline will take a drive with her. And you can just talk. You know, if you're upset with something or upset at someone, just let go know. I mean, glow with you. Just tell I, You know, I can't wait till we get to heaven and glow finally says, hey, now that I understand, you guys are nuts. I sat in the back seat. I heard everything. And, I mean, good night. I'm telling you. I couldn't talk there, but I tell you now, you, you guys look crazy. But Glow just reminds me of God and that sometimes she's the best listener when you're having a tough time. Everybody needs somebody like that in their lives. Our faith is struggling. Our faith is silent. Hey, can you take another step with me on this seven-mile road journey? Look at the next step they take. Faith is spoken to. I mean, now God is going to speak. Allow God to strengthen your faith. Jesus speaks, but what does he speak? Well, let's look at it. Look at verse 25. He says to them after they finish talking, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Are you kidding me? Jesus, the first response he has is a rebuke. You fools. You slow of heart to believe. Look what Jesus does. And by the way, he does this to me at times. He humbles me. He rebukes me. He speaks sharply to me. Men, this week, iron sharpeneth iron. It's not always hearing what you want to hear. Sometimes it's hearing a sharp word from a friend. Because he's not really a friend if he's not willing to step out and speak the truth in love. We need to sometimes be shocked back to faith with a sharp word. Because the Lord knows that the heart of the problem is a problem with the heart. And so he goes straight to the heart. And he starts to unfold the scriptures in Luke 24, verse 26. He says, was it not necessary, Jesus goes on to say, after he calls them fools and slow of heart, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses 
and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This journey is seven miles long. It's an hour and a half walk. So you can only imagine how good this sermon was. I mean, it's from Moses to Malachi. And it's Jesus speaking about things concerning himself. A seven-mile walk. He covers it all. What a preacher. He spoke about the shadows and types of prophecies, no doubt. He showed himself in the tabernacle, in the temple. He provided himself, or rather revealed himself in the offerings, and he pulled back the pages of prophecies, and he shed light on all the scriptures. He must have blown their minds. Dinners with Jesus have taught us that the purpose of hospitality is to grow our faith and the faith of others through the Word. The Word. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Are you feeding on the Word? Listen, listen to me. Dinners with Jesus. We're not just talking about steaks and bread and fish. and We're talking about real meat and food and nourishment coming from the Word. The Word of God is where we get our strength to walk in this life down the, 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 the unforeseen circumstances and, and get through all the different things that, we're, that are happening in our lives. We need God's Word. Oftentimes when I'm going through a tough time, I just need to remind myself that He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there just hang out none other has ever known a little better than earth angel step four I want you to see that at some point in your faith walk, you've got to seize the moment. Faith will seize the moment. And you'll have a, an aha moment. It's like, whoa, this is a game changer. And you've got to invite God to stay with you. There's got to be a moment in your faith journey where, where you begin to realize your need for Him. Look, if you would, please, at Luke 24, verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. I love this little phrase, and Jesus acted as if. I I like that. Jesus is an actor. He kind of fakes it. He acts as if he was going further. When they get to the place, here it is, church, when they get to the place that they're trying to go, Jesus acts like he's going to leave. Can you picture with me in your mind's eye what that must have looked like? I mean, this is the moment where they've got to seize the opportunity or Jesus is walking away. Notice it says in verse 28, he acted as if he were going further. He acts as if he's moving forward. He acts as if he's going forward. It's like Jesus is saying, how many steps do I have to take before you cry out to me? He won't invite himself to dinner. He wants to sip and sup with us, but he won't invite himself. And so look what they did. Look look, look at Luke 24 and 29. I've got it on the screen in two different versions. 
the ESV says, but they urged him saying strongly, stay with us. Stay with us. Please stay with us. Don't leave. For it's toward the evening. The day is now spent. Now, I really like the, 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 the translation here in the King James. It says, but they constrained him. It's as if they went to him and they, they grabbed his up. Please, Jesus, don't leave us. Abide with us. Abide with us, God. Stay with us, God. Don't leave us, God. We need to say that in our step of faith. God, I can't make it without you. I need you. I need you, God. I need you. Don't leave me. I need you, God. I can't handle this alone, God. I don't know everything. I need you, God. Stay with me, God. Don't walk away, God. Stay. That song, Abide With Me, I didn't know this, but when I saw that, those words in the King James, it just, the old song that I'm sure not many remember, but it's called Abide With Me. It's written in the 1850s by a man by the name of Henry Light. So I just looked it up just for the fun of it to to hear the meaning behind the song. And I read the story, and I won't take time to read the whole story. It's fascinating. But he wrote the words to this song based on the disciples traveling the road to Emmaus. Here's one, one verse. Abide with me. Fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee. Help of the helpless, Lord. Abide with me. Stay with me, God. Don't leave me. I don't know how many of you remember an old school singer by the name of Larnell Harris. But he sang a song years ago that changed my life. The title of the song was this, I miss my time with you. I miss my time with you. Oh, listen, let's get back to understanding our need to spend time with Jesus. And in this step of faith, I need to take the initiative and seize the moment. I need God 24-7. I need a God who abides with me. They understood that. Don't leave us. Stay. Step five. Faith will begin to see. Faith will begin to see. Seek to know and see God in private. Many times we learn in the darkness, don't we? And we begin to see with eyes of faith. Look at Luke 24, verse 30. Faith begins to see here. When he was at the table with them, remember this from last week, church? How many of you remember? You have to raise your hand. But do you remember when we talked about the feeding of the 5,000? Remember that? He was given the five loaves and the two fishes. And what did he do? He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. He does the same thing here. It's a pattern in the New Testament. He took the bread when he was at the table. Now they're at the table. We're we're finally there, guys. It's been a long walk, Don. It's been an hour and a half. It's been seven miles, and he he almost got away, but but he's here. He's at the table. This stranger, I don't know who this guy is, but he sure is smart. He knows a lot. At the table, he takes the bread. The Bible says he blesses it. And he breaks it. I can see he's got two pieces of bread in his hands. And he says, Cleopas. And whoever the other guy was, receive. As soon as they take the bread out of his hands, 
Those are nail scarred hands. It's Jesus. He's been there all the time. This is Jesus. And their eyes recognized him and whoosh, he vanished. He was gone. They were about to see something in this house they had never seen on the road. They understood that Jesus was there all the time. Even when they didn't see him. Even when they didn't recognize him. Even when they didn't know that he was there. He was there all the time. Jesus wanted his words to stay with him. Not necessarily his physical presence. Therefore, he vanished. And that's what he wants to help us understand. Jesus just needed to make sure they knew him They knew who he was. He was the risen Savior. And he's in our hearts today. This is the hope we have in Christ. This is the game changer. This is why Daniel said in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 20 to 32, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. They would need this strong faith. Jesus knew they would need it because they were going to face incredible persecution. So many of these disciples would have been killed as they were serving Christ. They would become martyrs, heads chopped off, crucified for Christ. And they would need to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Something was burning in their hearts now. It wasn't burning before, but it's burning again. Look at it in Luke chapter 24, verse 32. Jesus didn't need to hold their hands any longer. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Why were their hearts burning? Did they put Tabasco sauce on the bread or something? I mean, what's up with that? Are they having heartburn? What was going on here? No, the word of God is like a fire. It's the word of God that's burning in their hearts. What burned within their hearts was the hope that came from the word of God. They needed hope at this dinner with Jesus because hope gives us comfort and hope gives us strength. Look at Romans chapter 15 verse 4 on the screen. And whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Church, that's what dinner with Jesus is all about. It's getting to know Jesus better so that our faith increases so that we can go out and share the gospel with those around us knowing that we serve a risen Savior. He's alive. He's real. He's given us hope and we can hang on to that hope every day. Hope is what gives us strength in the present. Hope shines brightest when the hour is darkest. Hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope energizes when the body is weak. Hope sweetens when bitterness bites. Hope sings when the melodies are gone. Hope believes when the evidence is eliminated. Hope listens for answers when no one is talking. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. Hope endures hardship when no one is caring. Hope smiles confidently when no one is asking. Hope presses towards victory when no one is encouraging. Hope dares to give when no one is sharing. And hope brings victory when no one is winning. Hope fuels the fire in our hearts this morning hope that heart burning experience is something that we all need and I want you to notice this in closing what did they do look if you would please at what they did their first reaction is they rose look at Luke 24 and they rose that same hour 
and they returned to Jerusalem. Jim, if the walk from Jerusalem was seven hours, then how long was the walk back? Oh, seven miles, I'm sorry. Seven miles, right? I said seven hours, right? Sorry. Seven miles. 14 miles in one day. Why in the world would they go back to Jerusalem? Because their hearts were on fire. They went back and they told the disciples. They found the 11 and those that were gathered together. You can move on. The Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And finally, then they told what had happened on the road and what was known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's what you and I need today. Hope needs to rise up in us so that we'll go from here and begin to have dinners with people who need to hear about Jesus. That's the goal. If the only thing you're walking away with this sermon is just, that was kind of cool. Those are cool stories. Jesus had dinner with different people. That's kind of strange. That many dinners in one book, the gospel, that was kind of cool, all those dinners with Jesus. No, no, the dinners with Jesus are so you'll go and have dinners with people who need Jesus. Carrie Backle is my secretary. She used to be Carrie Cuneo. Carrie Cuneo would go to Regions Bank back in 2015 and make deposits. There was a Korean guy standing behind the desk that had moved to Hot Springs from Minnesota and from Korea when he was 18. And he would kind of flirt with her. She'd tell me about it when she'd get back to the office. You know, this guy's kind of cute, but I'm not sure. And so she'd go back, and finally she invited them to a dessert fundraiser. He thought, hey, if I ain't got to go to church, I'll go to a dessert fundraiser. That's kind of a cool deal. So Chris Backle goes to a dessert fundraiser. He kind of likes it. People are nice. Desserts taste great. Maybe this is what they do at this church. Just eat. She makes the deposit the next week and says, you know, we're having Easter Sunday. It's pretty cool. It's when we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead. You should go. So Chris shows up on that Easter Sunday four weeks after the dessert with Jesus. Sonia and Dave Chittum walk up to Chris and say, hey, would you like to come to our small group? If you know Sonia Chittum, she never gets with people where she doesn't feed them greatly. Sonia is the, she puts Carolina out of shame when it comes to hospitality. Chris walks away from that dinner at Sonia's house six years ago. And he says, man, these people are cool. They're different. They're amazing. They're nice. To this day, if you talk to Chris about those dinners at Sonia's house, he'll say, that's where it started for me, was going over to somebody's house and just seeing them in real time, living their lives and loving one another. Chris comes back to church a few Sundays. Finally, I go to Chris and I say, hey, bro, we need to talk, don't we? He says, maybe. He comes to my office, and to make a long story short, Chris started a relationship with Jesus, got baptized, married my secretary, by the way, the best secretary in the world, and I'm so blessed. Chris and I still go. We started going to lunch. We kind of stopped for a while there, and I feel like that, that wasn't good. I mean, I just, I, I regret, I regret that. And so here in the last year, Chris and I, we started to have lunches again, and we're, we're discipling about every two to three weeks. But, you know, I'll go back to that story to illustrate this. I wonder how many Chris Backles are out there at a teller's window or at a drive-thru or in Walmart. I wonder how many guys are out there just waiting 
for somebody to invite him to dinner. You don't have to shove the gospel down their throat. Just be a little Jesus. Just let him come over to your house and eat some chicken soup, maybe a fried bologna sandwich. Worked for me. You don't have to go to 501 Prime. Just go to San Francisco Bread Company. It's okay. And just learn to spread the gospel through having dinners with others. The dinner guest vanishes out of their sight, but not out of their hearts. The message was gone, but the message was burning in their hearts. Or the messenger was gone, but the message was there. In fact, listen to Jeremiah 20, verse 9. One more verse. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. Question, is your faith struggling today? Is your faith struggling? Perfect. Don't quit. Johan, take the next step. Jeff, is your faith struggling sometimes? Take the next step. Just don't quit. I get it. I've been there. Kevin, I've been there. We've been there. Is God really here? Is he really moving? Am I supposed to do this? Just just take the next step. Just take the next step. That's that's all you need to do. Dinner with Jesus is coming. God's going to increase our faith today. And ultimately, what I'm hoping will come out of this is what the May sermon series is all about. I can't wait till next Sunday. But until then, may God move on our hearts to reach out to this community and begin to practice biblical hospitality at the next level. Every head bowed and every eye closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today. Would we cry out tonight as we, or today as we close the service, would you join me in crying out, Lord, abide with me. Lord, stay with me. I need you. I need you, God. I need thee every hour. Oh, God, don't leave. Don't, don't. God, I need your presence. I need you, God. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the answers are. I'm struggling with this, with this illness or with this financial crisis. I'm struggling, God, with understanding things in the Bible. I just, God, I'm struggling. Stay with me, God. Don't leave me. I want my heart to burn again. I want my heart to again, God. If that's you this morning, would you cry out, I need you. And then if you're here today and you've never been saved, I want to invite you to come to know Christ today. I'll be up front along with Doug and Butch, our other elders, some of them. We'll just be here if you need to pray with us. If you need to pray with us, we're wide open. We're ready. We love to pray with our family and with our guests. So we'll be here if you need that. Father, I love you. I thank you for this service. Lord, bless now as we sing and worship and close. God, move on our audience. Move on our congregation. Move in this place today. God, we need you. Abide with us. Stay with us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, shall we?